Hello and welcome back into the Market Scale Podcast Studios. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern, and joining me once again is Kevin Stevenson, the Executive Vice President of IntegraNet Health. Kevin, thank you so much for being here again. Hey, thanks, Tyler. I really enjoy it. We uh, enjoyed our last conversation so much. You're back. I am back. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about social determinants of health and population health. Now, the phrase is fairly self-explanatory, I suppose, social determinants of health. But for those in the healthcare industry, and for you specifically, what does it mean when you hear that term? What's a, what's a definition maybe that you would apply to You it? know, social determinants of health is kind of the new buzzword in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's, it's defined by the World Health Organization as the conditions in which people are born, grow, live, work, and age. Okay. That sounds like a pretty so, good definition. Yeah, it's pretty broad. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing about it is, you know, let's take a look at healthcare as it has been historically delivered. Mm-hmm. Physicians have been uh, reactive to various uh, various symptoms of diseases. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, in, in the past, and so the physician, you know, somebody would come in. You know, I have a sore throat. I have you know aches and pains. Whatever. Physicians would would treat that. Well, now, uh, in, t- in today's environment, because of changes in not only payer models, mm-hmm. but also just more socially aware uh, individuals, uh, physicians have to look at the broad basis of their individual patients. They have to look not only at the physical aspect, but certainly the, the social aspects, uh, spiritual uh, and, and so they really have to look at, at the, the total person. You know, the phrase holistic healthcare was something that, that, that people threw around. And, and many, many people in, in the healthcare industry saw well, holistic. That sounds a little, you know, a little out there. It sounds a little hippie. It does, doesn't sure. it? Yeah. yeah. It, it, but, but really, that's where we are now mm-hmm. because, because everybody in the healthcare space has to look at the total person. Interesting. Okay, so when when I hear this, then it sounds almost like knowing what the cause of a lot of ailments is on the front end, I suppose, and maybe utilizing things like education or something like that on the front side to help combat maybe some of the issues, some of the you know some of those social issues, like maybe uh, having a bad diet or something right. like that. Using that to then prevent eventually having to treat someone for diabetes or something you know, along those you lines. You know, that's absolutely right. My company, we we are primarily in the Medicare Advantage space. We work with physicians and uh, with a variety of Medicare Advantage plans and help them uh, improve their quality and a number of other things. Mm-hmm. But what has happened in that space over the last few years is the fact that, that many of the quality metrics that, that are uh, reviewed – so many of those are preventative you know, in, in nature, whether it be a mammography, a colorectal screening, things like that, mm-hmm. but also looking at uh, an individual's uh, response and assessment of their own pain, uh, assessment of their own uh, environment, uh, things along those lines. And so, uh, yeah, things, really, it, it, things have really started changing uh, more towards, again, that holistic type of care. What do you think is driving that... Maybe that change of thought almost. I thought I was late to this party because I'd only recently <laughs> kind of started thinking about things like this and realizing it. But it sounds like this is a pretty recent trend over the last several years. Do you have any? Can yeah. you pinpoint anything that maybe changed, or is it just? I, I wonder if this is the uh, effect of social media or something like yeah, that. You know, where people I, just have more access to information. I think you. I think that's a a real good point, Tyler. I think the the accessibility of information, but also again, as I said, uh, changing payer models. 
uh, when uh, managed Medicare, which Medicare Advantage in a sense, uh, came about years ago, uh, obviously you're, the, the health plans were looking at how can we manage utilization you know, to decrease costs, mm -hmm. not denying care, but making sure that care was delivered in an appropriate fashion. And so when you start looking at that, so many of the, the reasons that people say go to an emergency room are, are, are social or are, are socially related. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it be somebody who, you know, really doesn't have a family or doesn't have the knowledge of really the, the access points to healthcare. Right. Uh, rather than going to their primary care physician because it might take a day or two to get an appointment, they would much rather go to an emergency room where they think in their mind that's going to be a more immediate fix. But when it's really not, you know, there's still the long wait times there you, and, and, and you're still not in the appropriate venue of care. Uh, I know, I think it was Harris County, Texas, down in Houston, mm -hmm. uh, their uh, public hospital system did a study a few years back and said that really only 5% of emergency room visits were really necessary. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's something that, yeah, and, and, and again, it, it just goes along the lines of, you know, we can talk about education, we can talk about access, mm -hmm. too. Because we're, we're in the midst, frankly, of a, of a primary care physician crisis and shortage. Uh, the rural, rural markets are in a terrible shortage. Uh, but you also look at, at medical schools. Hey, if I'm going to medical school and I'm going to incur $200,000, $300,000 worth of debt, well, I'm going to look at specialties where my, my income is going to be higher, and that's typically in the specialty arena. You know, specialists, whether it be, uh, you know, radiologists, surgeons, orthopedic surgeons, things like that, rather than going into primary care. And so, you know, I hate to say this, a lot of times it's follow the money. Yeah, that's that's how a lot of life is, it is I think, right? as, as right. it turns out. So that this does kind of, I, I suppose, get into a maybe sticky area, depending on how, where you fall politically, right? Because this seems so much like... Um, like, hey, let's dictate some things right. that would then maybe infringe on freedoms or infringe on uh, or maybe expand the role of the government yeah. into medicine and into the lives of, of everyday people. So how, what's what's the response to that, I suppose? And, and how do you balance these these ideas, I suppose? You know, and, and Tyler, you, you've hit the nail on the head, because if you look at at, at some of the uh, research and some of the papers that have been done on social determinants of health, a lot of it has that that feel of uh, of socialized medicine, mm -hmm. as you said, enhanced governmental control of the individual. But I, I, I choose to look at it a different way. Okay. Yeah, I look at it from the standpoint that this actually brings into light the opportunity for healthcare organizations and corporations and government to all partner together to find out to find solutions for you know, various things that affect everyone's health. Uh, I've got a graph here. Okay, uh, that does a lot of good on the internet. <laughs> but I have a graph that was actually uh, produced by uh, the County Health Rankings and Roadmaps. Uh, this was back in July of 2017, and it talks about. Health, health outcomes, you look at, okay, your health outcomes, 50-50, it's length of life and quality mm -hmm. of life, right? You know, as we were talking before we, before we went on the air, 
it's great, you know, if you live to be 100 years old, but if your quality of life is terrible, what's the point, right? <laughs> and so, right. so that you, you take a look at how can we enhance quality of life while also in, enhancing uh, the length of life. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of different factors. And yeah, you start at the low end of the spectrum, and this is more policy and program uh, type things. Yeah, you look at, at the impact of the environment, the physical environment, like air and water quality or or housing and transportation. You know, that affects healthcare. You know, think about this. If you have a senior citizen that, yeah, they've got health insurance. That's great. And they've got really good health insurance. But if they don't have transportation to get to the physician, mm-hmm. they don't have health care, right? Right, right. Okay. So so that's one example of of that of that physical environment. Sure. Then you look at social and economic factors. Yeah, education, as we've already talked about, utilization of emergency room and other access points rather than your primary care physician. Employment status. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at again, look at income. I was speaking with a friend of mine today. We were talking about some some new benefits that some health plans are uh, have created in the senior citizen market and in, in, in Medicare Advantage. Uh, there's a health plan that actually has a benefit. Uh, the the patient can apply for a hundred and fifty dollar benefit for an air conditioner. Okay, and you start thinking, well, an air conditioner. You know, why does a health plan want to help fund that? Well, think about that, particularly here in Texas. Yeah. You know, uh, we've got people who are living in homes that have no air conditioning. Mm-hmm. And so you say $150, that's not going to get a big three-ton unit for the outside. No, it's not. But there are now smaller air conditioners, small personal air conditioners that that some of the big box stores sell that are under $150. And it helps. Yeah. You know, something like that helps. Then you look at family and social support. Again, you're talking about what happens if you have a senior citizen that really doesn't have that, that uh, family support system. And so they go to the doctor's office you know, they have the transportation to get there. They go. They listen to what the doctor has to say about, you know, their condition, let's just say diabetes. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, the doctor's laid out the plan of care, but the patient, you know, they either can't cook the food, mm-hmm. can't cook the healthy food that they need, right? or they don't quite understand, you know, the frequency of when they need to be taking their medication, right. things like that. They don't have somebody to help support them. And then, of course, community safety, and that could be a wide variety of things. You know, uh, uh, crime in crime in the uh, in the specific neighborhoods, mm-hmm. or, or anything like that. You know, again, somebody might want to go to the doctor, but they're afraid to go outside. Yeah, you know, things like that. Yeah. So then we step up in the in the higher echelon of this in, into more healthcare related factors. First thing is clinical care, and you talk about access to care and quality of care. You know, again, we've talked a little bit about the whole access point. Uh, Somebody may not be able to to, to be able to, to get to the physician, or in a lot of uh, areas, uh, and even in Dallas Fort Worth where we are, uh, we have a shortage of certain specialists, uh, uh, certain specialty physicians. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we have those, but it may be months before you can get a, an appointment to see them. And so, and then you look at quality of care. Uh, there are a wide variety of ways that that providers can be assessed, but uh, most of the time patients don't try to access and, and really 
do a deep dive on, you know, what does my physician, what is their what is their quality rating or what do other people, you know, uh, right. say uh, about them other than going to Yelp, which I, you know, that's that's an interesting way of assessing a physician. <laughs> and then we step up to to the to the higher highest echelon health behaviors. Mm-hmm. You know, that's things like tobacco use and diet and exercise, alcohol and drug use, sexual activity, things like that. You know, so so that's why uh, social determinants of health are such. A, that's such a broad, a broad topic. And so many people just don't think about yeah, everything that we do. Every you know, every part of our environment weighs in on the quality of health uh, and quality of life that we have. It's interesting you mentioned that. I heard a story, and it's anecdotal. I heard it from a friend recently. Of his dad was traveling to China quite a bit, and in one of the big, gigantic cities in China, and he was there for maybe three to six months at a time, and would come back. And he came back and went to his uh, his personal care physician, and um, his doctor looked at him. And he said, "When did you take up smoking?" And he said, "I, I haven't." I, I, you know, I just been in in China for the last six right. months or so, and so like it that to me really drove home the idea that sometimes there are factors weighing in on your health that you might not even be aware of. I right. suppose. Well, and I'll tell you, you know, kind of going along with that that anecdotal story. Obviously, there are some states in the United States now that have legalized marijuana. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I happen to be in one of those states recently, and my friend said, "Hey, if you happen to smell, uh, you know, pot smoke." Uh, it's legal here. I said, oh, interesting. But what got me thinking was, all right, what about people who have, uh, who have uh, unannounced drug tests in their workplace? Yeah. Okay, say I'm here, you know, I work for a company here in Texas, and I get drug tested, and that shows up. Mm-hmm. How do you explain it? You know, yeah. And so it's crazy. Yeah. You know, all sorts of things that, that, you know, some people don't even think about that will impact your health. Well, we've uh, one of the big health topics that's been in the news quite a bit recently has been vaping, right? Yes. Where people have replaced smoking with vaping. Well, a lot of these, uh, I read a story recently that a lot of people that do vape will not check off on their health forms that they are a smoker. That's right. Because they have separated the two or maybe they just don't want to admit that they're a smoker or wh- whatever it is. But that's leading doctors to have... I don't know, n- incomplete knowledge when treating a patient when this is clearly, you know, a, a, I guess a, a social determinant of, of what their health is that a doctor should probably be aware of if they're going to treat this right. patient. And they're still ingesting nicotine. <laughs> so right. the doctor, you know, if they do a, a complete panel, they're going to know. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I took us down a rabbit oh, hole of okay. anec- anecdotal okay. stories there, but um, I don't know. It, it, it's it's really interesting to me that this phenomenon and the way that the healthcare industry is responding to it. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, and, and right now uh, the Centers for Disease Control uh, have a uh, an initiative. It's called Healthy People 2020, mm-hmm. and Healthy People 2020 is highlighting the importance of addressing the social determinants of health by including, and I quote. Uh, to create social and physical environments that promote good health for all as one of the four overarching goals for the decade. And this is also shared by the World Health Organization. And and they talk a lot about health equity. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you start start talking about health equity, and what that can mean to you is, in a sense, you look at, say, a, a community, and, and, you, and you look at all the factors in the community, you would say, hey, that community is a healthy community. Right. But that mean, basically means that the overarching majority of that community are perceived as being healthy. Mm-hmm. When you have a significant, you can have a significant subset minority of that pop- population who are incredibly unhealthy. And so it, it talks about how can we, 
how can we better serve our entire population when it comes to uh, when it comes to health? Yeah, yeah. You know, I spend a lot of times in, in hospitals, and and we treat the entire community. Mm-hmm. We serve we serve the entire community, not just the healthy community members. We serve <laughs> everybody. Right. And so we want to yeah we wanted to do everything that we can to to provide the uh, the appropriate care across the board. Mm-hmm. And so that's why. Yeah, for for not for profit health systems, they are required by the government to maintain their tax exempt status to on a on a every three year basis. They have to create and and, and conduct a community health needs assessment. Hmm. Okay, and so what that does is you do a pretty in depth survey of your community, yeah. uh, and and then you you create and implement strategies. To, to meet the needs of your community. Hey, it's a novel concept, right? We want to meet the needs of our community. <laughs> right. And so, you know, there's a lot of great of great examples of that. A uh, large health system here saw uh, in, the, uh, in the, the more economically disadvantaged uh, area of town, obviously a high propensity of, of patients with diabetes. So yeah. what did they do? They created diabetes centers hmm. where not only did they have physicians there, to address the issues, but they had diabetic educators, they had dietitians, they had they had all sorts of people there who could educate and treat these patients uh, specifically for their diabetes. Hmm. That's interesting. So th- this, to me, I guess, I guess, strikes a chord uh, just having these conversations because I think you and I we, we come from maybe a similar background where we would we would sit here and say I, I feel like it is unfair for there to be a for the zip code that you're born into to dictate how yeah. healthy you are or what your life expectancy is. Which and it does, and and it does. Yeah. And so I, I wonder just you being in the healthcare industry, how do you balance that and how do you, um, I guess, respond to that personally, I suppose? Yeah, that that's a great question, Tyler. And, and you're exactly right. Geography does play a, a, a significant impact on a person's health. Mm-hmm. It, it just does. Uh, and so, so that's where it go, I go back to, you know, being being a, a responsible community citizen. Yeah. You know, as an individual, and certainly in healthcare, uh, as I said earlier, we're there to serve our entire community. Hmm. Okay. But where where I also look at this is, frankly, it's personal responsibility has to take uh, part in this too. Sure. You know. Um, People can can receive all the education that they that that they want mm-hmm. on a disease state, and I, I've been picking on diabetes all day, so I'll keep doing that. <laughs> okay, so you know they'll get a, a great deal of education about their diabetes. They'll you know they'll learn about you know what do you need to do uh, from a dietary standpoint, from an exercise standpoint. Um, you know what kind of preventative measures you need to take to to protect, or frankly. Yeah, you know, protect your feet, protect your eyesight, things like that. Right. Okay. But if the patient chooses not to do it, you know, what else can we do? Right. I mean, we can't force somebody to go get a diabetic retinal exam. We can't force somebody to go get a diabetic foot exam. Mm-hmm. You know, we just I mean, we're not at that point, and that that starts seeping over into 
you know, not necessarily, let's sure government, governmental control, yeah. uh, you know, corporate control, whether it be a health plan, if they're forcing somebody to do that. But yeah, it's a tough question. Mm-hmm. It really is. And it's, there's not an easy solution to it. Yeah. There's not. <laughs> there's not. Yeah. 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 Just to just to reiterate that point, I suppose. So I I guess I wonder as you you know you've spent a lot of time in this industry as you maybe look a little bit forward. What do you see and how do you see this continuing to evolve and continuing to change as we see this trend continue to play out? I suppose. Yeah. Well, I I think you know what I see are are people your age uh, that are a lot more socially aware hmm. um, and also personally aware of of your health. Uh, you know, things have certainly changed in, in nutrition over the years. Um, you know, it, it seems like, uh, and I sound like the old guy here, your generation, <laughs> but, but your generation is a lot more concerned about, you know, whether it be, you know, something as basic as locally sourced food, uh, non-GMO, whatever, you right. know, really, truly healthy food. Yeah. And, and so I think from that standpoint, um, yeah, just going forward and, and taking advantage of, of that, yeah, it, it's, it's generational change. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, my parents, they smoked uh, you know, a couple of packs of cigarettes a day, didn't think anything about it. Um, and now smoking, you know, outside of vaping, uh, <laughs> but, but smoking is, is on the, on the, on the, on the decline, decline. Yeah. and it's been on the decline for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but I think it's just something that you know with with more education with more awareness yeah uh, things change sure and and I hope I hope that it continues to change for the better mm-hmm. um, uh, for for everyone's health. We'll see if my generation is good enough at culling through the the different. I'm uh, putting a lot of pressure on you, yeah, Tyler. Yeah, we'll, so we'll, I expect it to happen. We'll see if we uh, if we find the right sources of our information yeah. to uh, to actually rely on the right ones. But no, I, I I think you're absolutely right about that. And I have friends that have had kids, and and I've had conversations with them where they say, you know, our kids are just never going to drink sodas, right? Or something. And so I that's wonder right. if that's that's a generational change. You know, the same way that smoking took steps down, you know, incrementally over generations. I, I wonder if sodas or other things like that begin to kind of take similar steps yeah yeah this is a fascinating topic uh is there anything you want to say in closing just that maybe we didn't touch on it we didn't get to uh, over the course of the podcast yeah i think yeah social determinants of health is is one of the the new buzzwords as we said earlier yeah another buzzword frankly is population health Mm, and population health is is something and, and it's basically utilizing data from from an aggregated population to to really uh, dig deeply into the 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 factors uh, of that population's uh, health. Mm-hmm. So basically, the the exam the uh, definition that the Centers for Disease Control have uh, has for population health, they view it as an interdisciplinary, customizable approach that allows health departments to connect practice to policy for change to happen locally. Hmm. And so this falls in that that the graph that I talked about earlier that I'm sure all of you on the internet can see, uh, <laughs> that 10% of policy and, and practice, mm-hmm. you know, w- making sure that we have a, uh, an effective healthcare policy that allows for collaboration across, you know, across industry 
and, uh, and then utilizing that data to really make an effective change in a specific population. You know, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of basic. And, and a lot of people will say, well, okay, that's what public health does. Yeah. Well, not necessarily because public health is more along the lines of protecting and improving the health of communities through policy recommendations or education outreach and, and research, things like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas population health is just that opportunity to collaborate to improve health out- outcomes of the entire community. So, right. you know, I, I guess in closing, uh, social determinants of health for us in the healthcare industry we just we're looking at a broader approach to to each individual person mm-hmm. and rather than again taking that reactive approach that healthcare as a whole has done over you know over centuries yeah we have to be a lot more proactive in what we do and we have to educate and frankly expect from our patients um a more proactive approach to dealing with their health is- issues yeah, that, that requires probably honesty from the patient on some level. Right. Um, yeah, and and uh, just a change of mindset, I suppose, a change of approach. Um, really interesting topic. This was a fun one to discuss. Yeah, it was. Yeah. What are we gonna do next? I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to top it somehow. But <laughs> sounds good. I'll I'll leave that up to you, Kevin Stevenson, the executive vice president of IntegraNet Health. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks, Tyler. Do you know someone who would be an insightful podcast guest? Connect with us on marketscale.com and let us know.